0: This is Democracy on the Move. Democracy on the Move is a podcast tribute to the people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it toward its original promise of democracy. This episode is being released on Sunday, September 25, 2022. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and thank you for joining us. In today's short podcast, I'll talk about oppression, especially as it pertains to women's rights. But first, hey, the midterms are here. Join Women's March for a National Weekend of Action on October 7 through 9. Stand up and march for women's rights. The march will take place on October 8th. The main march will take place in Washington, D.C., but there are dozens of other marches you can take part in, many of which might be close to you. In Missouri, as a matter of fact, I've found several marches taking place in Kansas City and Columbia and Jefferson City. Check online for information pertaining to the march and how you can participate. Go to www.womansmarch.com for more information. Also, I found a great resource online from the League of Women Voters. It's called Vote411.org. Check it out. They have a wealth of nonpartisan information about the candidates and issues that you'll see on your ballot this November. Again, that address is vote411.org. And finally, it's an unfortunate fact of politics in this country that money injects corruption into our government. If you're as concerned about it as I am, then join Move to Amend. Move to Amend is an organization dedicated to passing a constitutional amendment to end corporate rule and the corrupting influence of big money in elections. The amendment states simply, Corporations are not people. You can find Move to Amend online at movetoamend.org. Masa Amini. If you don't know who she is or was, she has become the symbol of oppression in Iran, particularly oppression against women. On September 13, Masa was picked up by the morality police in Tehran, Iran, for not properly wearing her headscarf. And she died three days later. According to witnesses, Massa failed to respond in an acceptable way toward the morality police, so she was beaten severely. Within hours of being arrested, she was brain dead. Post-mortem medical analysis of her skull, which were leaked by hacktivists, showed bone fracturing, hemorrhaging, and brain swelling. The morality police had beaten her to death. As news of this murder spread, protests broke out, initially in Tehran, but then quickly spread to other parts of Iran. The protests are ongoing. Now The protests have spread worldwide, even here in the U.S. People are marching in solidarity with the people of Iran. And, of course, politicians have made statements regarding the absurdity of Iran's oppressive actions toward women. Now, you may have detected a degree of cynicism in my last sentence. My cynicism is intentional because, as many in this country clutch their pearls over the death of Masa Amini, they failed to really grasp what's happening in this country right here in our own backyard. The oppression of women has already begun, and it will only accelerate if we Americans merely look at Iran with the attitude that it can only happen over there. It can and it will happen here if we, each one of us, fails to stand up to the theocratic undertow that has all but hijacked one of our two major political parties. Now, how can this happen? Well, history demonstrates time and time again that theocratic and fascist revolutions burn underground for a long time, and when they surface, the visible changes take place quickly. Oftentimes, societies change from progressive to repressive in a matter of days. That's exactly the way it happened in Iran, for example. For many years, the Ayatollah Khomeini spread his gospel of theocratic political rule while in exile in Najaf, Iraq. From that location, he distributed anti government messages, spread through cassette tape recordings, lectures, and his writings. His popularity grew as the regime of the Shah of Iran became increasingly unpopular for its resistance to the will of the people. Once the Ayatollah took the reins of control in Iran, Sharia law was implemented, and women, within days, lost their rights. Men lost some rights as well, but it affected women most profoundly. Women were relegated to second-class citizens in an instant. They became property. Now, taking a deeper look at what happened in Iran, the Ayatollah Khomeini had some help from an unlikely source. Figuratively speaking, the Shah of Iran gave ammunition to the Ayatollah. He gave the Ayatollah a reason to incite a revolution. The Shah had become increasingly unpopular as he tightened his control on society. And with that tightened control, citizens became more restless, and that, in turn, made the Shah more paranoid, and his actions became increasingly extreme. And all the while, the words of Ayatollah Khomeini were like the shining light of truth His words became an inspiration to an increasing number of people, essentially radicalizing the population from within and helping to perpetuate the oncoming revolution. While similar things are happening here in the U.S. today, the messages of Fox News, OAN, Newsmax, Breitbart, and dozens of other ostensible news outlets beat the drum of revolution— They make up stories of repression from our president. They speak of armies of FBI agents and IRS agents, all coming to take something away from Americans. They vilify the president and make him out to be an enemy of the people. They proclaim themselves as innocent victims. They rationalize away the events of January 6th, reframing it as a legitimate political discourse. They make martyrs out of the people who were arrested for their participation in the insurrection. Now, the big difference here, of course, is that Biden is not guilty of putting together his own army, but that makes little difference. Propaganda persists in its efforts to rewrite history and current events, so whether or not Biden has a secret army, it makes no difference. So the revolution has begun. It's largely underground at this point, waiting just below the surface, waiting for the right moment to strike. And the end goal is similar to the end goal of the Ayatollah's revolution, to implement extremist religious rule with a strong undertow of fascism. Though the January 6th insurrection failed, that doesn't mean that the forces driving it have stopped. As I said, the revolution is being fought underground, largely out of sight, but it's there nevertheless. It uses techniques different from the Iranian revolution because, well, the U.S. is a different type of country. We are currently a representative democracy, unlike the Shah's rule, which was a monarchy. So the method employed to implement a revolution relies largely on propaganda, consisting of outright lies and made-up stories. It also relies on a population largely complacent to the slow boil of lies, wild conspiracy theories, and the corruption of politicians by rich individuals and large corporations. It relies on a degraded educational system that renders the population largely unaware of what's really happening behind the scenes. It relies on a limited form of democracy, where only two parties dominate, and the legislative branch has all but ceded control to the executive. And it relies on the vilification of intellectuals, teachers, colleges, and any institution designed to educate the masses. I say the revolution has started because we can see how the takeover of our democracy has already shown its extremist elements. The Supreme Court, for example, has been politicized. Three justices who now sit on that court swore before Congress that they consider Roe v. Wade settled law. They lied, of course. They lied with impunity. They lied because they knew they could get away with it. They knew that Congress lacked the will to hold them to account. And meanwhile, propaganda has successfully lulled people into thinking that, oh, well, the reversal of Roe doesn't make abortion illegal, it merely pushes the power down to the states. As if basic human rights are no longer a national commitment, but are now relegated to a local posse. And now we hear of other basic human rights that are up for reconsideration, just as Thomas expressed interest in reversing rights for LGBTQ, as well as the rights to contraception. We're also hearing now from state legislatures in Louisiana and Texas and Arizona that abortion should be equated with homicide, that any woman who gets an abortion may receive capital punishment. Will women be subject to the death penalty for getting an abortion, even if it's to save her life? Well, that's no longer out of the question. As the theocratic fascist revolution swings into full gear, bodily autonomy, particularly for women, is an early casualty. It's not difficult to imagine a day when, as a matter of law, women are beaten to death for daring to stand up for themselves. We will have our own Masha Amini someday. Now, does this sound overly alarmist? Well, I hope I'm wrong, but I fear I'm right. The extremist elements in our society have spent years patiently putting together all the pieces. And now, as I said, we're beginning to see the results. Now, you may criticize me for being anti-Republican, and I understand if you want to call me a Democrat. In my defense of these allegations, I can only say that the Democrats are equally guilty of this extremist development in our society. Now, I know that sounds profound because the shitstorm appears to be coming exclusively from the far right. But I put a lot of blame on Democrats because, at best, they've been blind to the changes in our political structure. And at worst, they've been complicit. How? Well, consider that every election has become a binary choice. We get an R or a D on our ballot. Sometimes we just get one. So many decades have passed where people have had to make a choice, not for what they wanted, but against what they didn't want. Both the Democrats and Republicans have kept this system in place and intentionally worked against a multi-party political structure. They insist on using an antiquated form of plurality voting, which almost guarantees only two parties will survive. Historically, they've resisted ranked choice voting, open primaries, and multi-winner districts, all of which go a long way toward the implementation of a true representative democracy. Instead, they both fight to gerrymander districts to the point where elections are no longer competitive. They undermine any third party that tries to get a toehold in the political machinery. Both parties have worked hard to keep this duopolistic beast alive, and they feed it election after election because both, in my opinion— have been eating from the hand of rich idealists and corporations, driving it toward theocracy and fascism rather than serving the will of the people. And now the red alarm lights are flashing. Our personal rights have been taken away. It's not just bodily autonomy, but other aspects of the rights of the people have been undermined through the years. We've seen a constant effort to erode unions, to allow companies to lock consumers into contracts that undermine tort claims, to reduce our voting rights, and so on. The overturning of Roe is just the most visible recent example, but it is simply another and a long series of trespasses against our constitutional rights. If this erosion process doesn't end, democracy itself is doomed, and we may find ourselves trapped, like so many Iranians, trying to live in a society that denies personal rights and liberties and beats to death anyone that dares to stand up for herself. Well, that's it for this week's short podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have any feedback or comments, please feel free to DM us on our Twitter feed at All on the Move. Next week we'll feature an interview with Tara Honora, candidate for Missouri State Senate District 16. We last talked with Tara on June 5th of this year, and in this next interview we'll do a follow-up to see how her campaign is progressing and talk about the issues. You've been listening to Democracy on the Move, a tribute to all those people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its original promise of democracy. Please tune in each week where we will feature guests and topics that will help keep you in touch with our march toward a more perfect union. If you have any questions or suggestions or if you'd like to sponsor future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us an email at info at or contact us on our webpage at democracyandthemove.org contact. Democracy on the Move is all one word. Theme music, Murky Waters, performed by El Rey Music, used under license from Shutterstock. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in. It's been my pleasure to be with you today. Please have a safe week ahead. We hope you tune in again next week.